Episode 55, Back to Earth, Part 3, Original Air Date, 12th of April, 2009. Hello and welcome to ScutterCast 55. This week I'm joined by Anthony. Hello. We'll be reviewing the episode Back to Earth, Part 3, after a very short and quick synopsis read by Anthony. Knowing they are destined to die, the dwarfers head to a mysterious address in London to plead for more life. Thank you very much, Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) There's not a lot in these episodes, is there? (laughs) No. (laughs) Just before we start the episode review, you've just got a few things to say. Yeah, one of the things Doug was insistent on uh, when embarking on this project was that he wanted to use a red camera. Um, Okay. Basically, he'd been impressed by some online videos he'd seen using it. Um, Now, the red camera films such a high resolution that it's possible to zoom right into shots and reframe the edges without losing any of the, um, you know, broadcastable resolution. Yeah, sure. Um, basically, it avoids many scenes being reshot, and it enables you just to quickly get on with it, and then we'll sort about the trimming the edges later. Okay. okay. Um, so, yeah, everything we've had in the past with uh, microphones dangling in shot and what have you, they could all be sorted with this red camera. Right. Got you. Uh, no problemo. Um, now, basically, uh, they could film it all, uh, sort out the framing of the shot in post-production and editing, um, and they use a couple of examples in the making of documentaries show. Okay. Um, now, there's one scene, uh, it's the post-box scene in Coronation Street, and you've got Simon Gregson is stood in the background. Um, now, they felt that he was actually hanging around for too long in the background, and it didn't look right. So they actually cut him out of the shot. These, you know, they just trimmed off that edge, can't see him, he's not there anymore. Um, okay. They did the same in the first episode where they filmed, uh, there's a shot where they film uh, Rimmer and Katarina walking down a corridor having a conversation. And yeah. the camera just slowly zooms in onto Katarina's face, which, yeah. you know, it slowly zooms in, cuts Rimmer out of the shot. You know, that wasn't done on the move, that was done in post production. That was um, oh, simply okay. shot at the same distance. Right now we can zoom in on Katarina as it goes on. Um, so, yeah, it's all down to the red camera. Um, you know. Excellent. Okay. Now, the red camera meant that footage shot can be downloaded to a 24 terabyte drive and then sent to the editors for editing, all within half a day of the initial filming being taken. Um, So, you know, with low budget being the key element, timing was of the essence. And yes, it was expensive to get it all in the first place. Uh, I think another advantage I seem to remember, I've not written this on the notes, but the red camera also uses standard camera lenses so um, right okay you know it, that was a that was a plus for it um, cool. now during the promotional work for back to earth uh, doug made a comment that he would never do a series nine after this right um, yes. now this led to a lot of online debate about what the next series will be called if you know and if the series eight cliffhanger is ever going to be resolved. Now yeah. on the commentary, he basically explains that it was a throwaway joke that shouldn't have been taken as literally as it has been. Yeah, sure. However, since writing these notes and you know listening to the commentary, we've had Dimension Jump, in which yeah. he has announced the next series of Red Dwarf, and it's not called Red Dwarf Series 9, it's called Red Dwarf Series 10. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's... It was a throwaway comment, which is actually, uh, it stands now. Uh, yeah. Excellent. The first scene starts, 
and it starts with them. Um, well, let's let's say landing in Coronation Street. Now, I'm not sure if we've covered this before, but where did Lister learn how to drive? I, I understand Crichton being able to drive, but Lister? Um, not sure. Uh, Unless it's in, in some hollow suite or something well, like that. Well, Chris Barry, I, I assume that cars are still around in their time. Because okay. Chris Barry talks about driving a car in, uh, I think it's marooned, his brother's E-type Jag. Ah, uh, In yes. Better Than Life. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's E-type Jag in Better Than Life. I can't remember what his brother's car was now in marooned. Right, um, yeah. He's also reading the classic car magazine in the first part of Back to Earth. Yeah, so, I guess. You know, we got to assume that they know, you know, they know what cars are and how they work and everything. Although, admittedly, Lister does look as if he's not had much, uh, had not had many lessons. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, now, they had to actually remove the seats from Carbug to fit them all into it. Ah, okay. Smart cars are only two seaters. <laughs> you know what? I never realised that. I, I, I yeah. knew they looked cramped, but <laughs> yeah, the two seaters. So they've had to take the two seats out and squeeze them all in. Um, now, they had a disaster whilst filming this. Um, they went off for a break, and when they came back, they found that the car book keys were locked inside the car book itself. <laughs> oh, um, no. This is on the extras on the DVD. Uh, they basically had to call the AA out, and uh, they ended up retrieving the keys themselves using the uh, technical, um, what's it called? Using a hammer to smash a window method. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's all on the making of documentary. Right, okay. You can see all that. Cool. Crichton tries to get some information out of a post box. Now, this mildly annoyed me because Crichton's pretty smart. And he was talking to a mailbox, trying to get information out of it. Surely he knows it wasn't a robot. (laughs) And then there was also the strange thing as well, where he he took, um, like, the end of his finger off, and he had the key perfect for that post box. Yeah. Reminded me of the... um you know, in the fifth element, the aliens in that have got a key in their finger digit as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like that. Mm. Uh, but these um, these actually are the first shots to be filmed for Back to Earth, even okay. before any of the studio stuff. They shot the Coronation Street stuff first. Right, okay. The next scene starts, and they head into a shop. Now, if my understanding is correct, this, I know the shop exists, but... I wouldn't have thought it'd been manned. Well, that was my initial thought, but when I went back and watched it, I yeah. don't think she's actually manning it. She's not there as a um, as a shopkeeper. She's there as an actress, and I think she's actually learning the lines. If you look, she's ah, reading what looks like a script in front of her. That makes more sense. Because okay. it's, uh, it's Michelle Keegan. Um, yeah. She's obviously a famous Coronation Street actress. Um I mean, I've written on the notes here, but she seems to be in character here. But it wasn't until I was re-watching it, I thought, oh, no, she's re- she, it looks like she's learning the script. And there's right. a puzzled look on her face when they come in. Right, you got know. it. So, uh, on the commentary, she really managed to make me feel old. Because okay. she, she turns around and she says, um, she says yeah, I, I like Red Dwarf. I've, I've seen Red Dwarf. Uh, my parents were fans. <laughs> It's like oh, gold. Oh, yeah, yeah. She'd, she'd be very young when it was aired, right? <laughs> yes. This is a scene where, in the background, you've got the magazine which says "Note on Telly Mag," which I thought was out. <laughs> yeah, doubt. <laughs> very mank. Um, the tall that Craig Charles is in the Rovers, 
Um, but wouldn't this a freak trap? I mean, because obviously, if if it is a set, and then three people walk in that she doesn't recognise, and then they start asking for Craig Charles, wouldn't she be like, A, who are these people on the set? And B, why do they want Craig Charles? Well, she... See, I'm under the impression that she is playing herself, uh, learning a script, just happens to be in the cabin. Okay. And that um, these people come in, and I get the impression she knows that they are Craig Charles's. Um, co-actors from Red Dwarf yeah I guess you know, she, it... she looks and she, she's got a bemused look on her face as she's talking to him you know almost as if she thinks it's uh... a wind up or something yeah. yeah okay the next scene starts and they're in the rovers Steve tells Craig Charles that his mates have all landed in a green spaceship and they're on the way to see him yeah, well, this Simon Gregson, isn't it? Who yeah, is yeah. actually one of um, Craig's uh, best mates in real life. Yeah. Um, Craig Charles, knowing he was a big fan of the show, um, it was him because he was so close to him that he uh, he actually asked him if he wanted to be in it. Okay. Uh, presumably, this is with Doug's consent. And I would hope so. Yeah. I might be wrong. I'm sure I've seen somewhere that this is actually the first TV he has done that isn't Coronation Street. Ah, He's okay. been in Coronation Street since he was since he was young. They were they were yeah. I think they were barely teens when they first joined. Yeah, they the were cast. brothers. I think uh, well, I seem to remember it many. Yeah, there was ago. him and his brother. And like I say, I think it was the first acting job. I might be wrong, but I think it was the first acting job. And he's not done anything else since. So, oh, cool. So um, the the talking in the Rovers and the rest of the crew turn up, and then Lister turns up. <laughs> At this point, Craig Charles suggests that he might be having a flashback here and maybe he needs to go back to the Priory. Which, it's good that he can laugh at his own um, yeah. life experiences, you know, the negatives that he's had in life. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, they, they want to know how long they've got left. Um, as you may remember from the previous two episodes, they're trying to plead for more life and they believe that this is the last episode. Um, anyway, Steve knows and he says, yeah, you've only got one left. The next scene starts, and it's very much a um, a Blade Runner here. Um, it's basically London, but Blade Runner styley. Well, it's yeah, it's the um, the Tyrell building is yeah, actually yeah. being uh, popped into the uh, image. Yeah. Um, now, the you know the shot that's got the Tyrell building. You've got the uh, the bri- you know the the river. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's Tower Bridge or one of the one of the bridges in London going over and what have you. You know, you can tell it's London. Yeah. Um, with this Tyrell building slap bang in the middle of it. Um, now, this was actually a still photo that was taken from the London Eye. And okay. all the water and vehicle movements and, you know, there's even pedestrians on the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, all of them are actually, uh, all the movement is added later. You know, they've used green screen to add people and, the, you know, whatever effect they've used to add movement yeah. to the water. It was a still photo taken from the London Eye, which uh, I was kind of impressed with. It's, it really is, yeah, definitely. you know, and like I say, you can you can zoom right in, you know, to actual pedestrians walking down the street. Um, the skateboarder, which I believe, I think on the latest episode of Carpool, I think Robert Llewellyn said that was his son, if I remember rightly, that was skateboarding. Oh, wow. And what have you, yeah. Awesome. They're on the way to see the creator, and they knock on the door, and you get the little munchkin rimmers answering the door. 
Now, now they used um, they used two children to play the parts of the Munchkins. Okay, yeah. And then obviously they superimposed some shots of Chris Barry's head onto them. Yeah, yeah. And the head is too large for the body. They've Absolutely. obviously made the heads larger, <laughs> and it's really really freaky. And it's not just the you know the proportions being out you know with them being small bodies and large yeah. heads it's chris barry's facial expressions are absolutely freaky like there's like gritted teeth almost a smile yeah you know yeah. what have you uh i think one of the commentaries they actually uh i can't remember who it is now i think it's um craig charles says that the um chris barry was actually pulling the same facial expression as what the kid was who was playing the part in the first place. Oh, wow. You know, okay. these kids that were playing had obviously got this big cheesy grin, frozen, gritted teeth, nervous, all the rest of it. And that's mm. the... It, but it looks absolutely freaky. It's enough to give you nightmares. Really. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> it is quite nasty. I mean, I like the doorbell as well when they ring the bell of the creator and it's the... Um, the Red the, Wolf theme. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just just little touches like that. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The next scene starts, and you see the creator loading up a bullet. Uh, very dramatic. There's four bullets lined up, each with one of the crew's name on. Them bullets, I think the cast have actually got them. They, they've got their own bullet with their own character's name on. I'm sh- oh, okay. sure I heard that recently. Um, but yeah, this, this set is actually... Um, you know, we got the four-walled set in the first episode, which is That's the right, first yeah. time we've had four walls... You know, on a set. Uh, this one, in total contrast, is a set with no walls whatsoever, oh, and it okay. gives it that um, that dreamy feel. Um, yeah. To it. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know about you. For me, this is possibly my least favorite of all the scenes, and um, I, th- I think it's this part here where he's loading up the gun and you know what happens. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Uh, now the shots in this scene they actually took two days to shoot oh okay which surprised me when I first heard that um, you know I can't see what was really complicated with it I know there is some visual effects and what have you but yeah sure yeah surprised me that hmm the munchkins bring the crew in there's a line that the creator says and he says I thought you'd find me earlier it's not hard to find your creator and I thought is, is this a religious reference I mean I, I know you know Blade Runner a lot better than I do. Is it something out of Blade Runner? Um, or is it just a not that religious I can remember, reference? To be honest with you, it's a good line. Yeah, <laughs> which could have uh, you know religious undertones, but I, you know I don't know whether it has or not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just something that struck me. I mean, it says here. Um, I mean, the creator writes what's going on, uh, as we know. So wouldn't you know exactly what they're doing and at what point? So, <laughs> I thought you'd find me earlier. <laughs> if he's writing the script, he says, Munchkins bring them into the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, they're there pleading for more life and they're pitching ideas at them, um, which are some really bad edit. I tell you what, it actually reminded me, um, I don't know how much you know of The Simpsons, but there was one where there was one of all the spin off shows, there was a Chief Wigan one. Yes, and <laughs> yes, and it's like almost like a Miami Vice. Yeah. Like, you, know, right. you move to Miami and say, become a private detective. That's on the boat. one. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's that's brought to mind as well, some of the ideas <laughs> that, that you come out with. <laughs> yeah. He then explains that no, it's going to end and explains how it's possibly going to end. And at this point, you get the very Blade Runner scene where it's it's like a Chinatown, 
Uh, they go running through loads of crowd and they get shot in the back and fall through glass. Um, and I've put down here, um, again, after watching Blade Runner, I now understand before it was a little bit random, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. Well, the, you see, this to me, it's this is one of the iconic scenes from Blade Runner, is the, yeah. um, uh, I can't remember the um, skin job's name now, it's the... the stripper one into it with the snake yeah. and she's literally she's got the clear plastic uh like a raincoat and she goes running and you know decker shoots her in the back and she goes tumbling through the glass as she's trying to run away that's and right yeah. obviously they recreate this whole scene yeah right, now this was the scene when i watched the promos and the trailers that i was most excited of you know who is this mystery man you know we've got names on the bullets why are they being hunted down all the rest of it and yeah. i really really this is one of the biggest disappointments of back to earth for me is okay. i felt robbed because it doesn't even happen within this story no he that's right says, yeah. <laughs> this is how i plan to end it and you've got basically a visualization of what he is telling them is going to happen yeah and it to me it was such a but i and wanted it to happen even though it's within an artificial reality i wanted yeah, yeah, to yeah. actually you know i wanted it to be part of the story and it isn't and i felt like the uh pro the trailers had actually um misled me they'd lied to me <laughs> uh, no I, I know what you mean because this was heavily featured on the trailers wasn't it yeah which is was... it's a shame it's a shame but you know that's that's the way it goes um now when they was actually filming this you know as they're running through the chinatown and what have you yeah there's a bit where Crichton he kicks a bin out of his way in the chase yeah yeah uh, basically robert had seen it and obviously wearing his outfit was wary that he might trip up on it so he just booted it right it didn't expect it to be as light as it was and it flew off much harder than robert <laughs> smashed into one of the light stands um and I mean, Robert gave it no second thought. There was a big exploding sound, which he thought was um, a special effect. He's quite yes. I can remember being really impressed with these uh, audio effects, you know, this explosion. It was actually the bulb exploding from his <laughs> light stand where he just knocked it over. Um, I thought that was good. And then um, the sugar glass as well. They talk, um, they go into a bit of detail about the sugar glass they use, how fragile it is. Yeah. They actually broke more panels than they used. Uh, just trying to get it into position. Uh, yeah. But even though it is the most fragile and flimsiest sugar glass you can imagine, um, there is still an element of risk to it. And uh, Doug basically decided, right, I, you know, it would be easier if they did it themselves. You know, they will be safe. It'll be easier if they do it themselves. Best thing to do is just ask Craig first. Craig will just go and go, yeah, 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 no problem. And then because he does it, everybody else will go, all right. Then. And so basically, that's how he got them all to agree to run through these panels of uh, sugar glass. Right, okay. <laughs> nice. <coughs> so anyway, that was the um, imagination of the how he was going to kill them. However, what actually happens is List kicks up the table the gun goes flying up in the air, which the cat catches. Um, again, surely the creator would have seen this. Yeah, yeah. This theory, <laughs> they shouldn't have any free will. No, no. They make the creator write a happy ending, um, but he basically double-crosses them and takes the gun back. Lister then goes to um, squash his head, which kills him, which is, again, it's from Blade Runner. Um, but it's a lot less violent. He doesn't push his eyes into his head like they do in Blade Runner. <laughs> and the creator says, um, if you kill me, 
you will have never existed. Now, I'm not sure that's true because they exist. He, he existed to that point, so surely they existed absolutely. certainly at least until that point. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Because him dying is not going to unwrite everything he's done. Hmm. But anyway, <laughs> let's not get into that. Um, he says, basically, that they're not going to stay alive if there is no writer. So Lister throws the script to the fire and decides to write his own ending. Yeah. I mean, I love the scene. There's a gag here where um, they want him to write them the happy ending. And yeah. Rima says, and I will find a woman and settle down, blah, blah, blah. And she will not turn out to be my sister. Yeah. It, it, it's so typical of it, you know, his sort of uh, life and the way things go for him. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that really did make me smile, you know, that scene, because I thought, yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah, because um, he said, how do you know I was thinking that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, we get a scene here where they settle down to write these, yeah, the script themselves. Yeah. There's a scene where Rimmer sort of moves over to the desk and there's a vase sat on the desk which he flicks with his hand, it flies across and then slows down and stops and then hovers in mid-air. Yeah, yeah. Then he goes up, picks it up and then chucks it to the cat. You know, pops it out of mid-air. And it's one of those shots where, as a kid, you're thinking, wow, how did they do that? Yeah. Uh, Nowadays, you're thinking, oh yeah, it's obviously CGI. Yeah. Um, Now... I was impressed with the way they'd actually done it, although it is a CGI one. Yeah. The one that hovers in midair, from the point where it stops still in midair, is mm. real. Oh, wow. It's okay. um, it, This is on the documentary. It's sat on a green stick, which is obviously then uh, removed afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And it's sat hovering in midair on a green stick, which is obviously okay. later uh, edited out. Yeah, yeah. And the commentary basically says that the CGI effect happens before you realise it's going to happen. The vase on the desk is CGI. Right. When Rimmer flicks it, and in you know, all the time that it moves through the air, that is CGI. And it's only when it stops in midair and you realise, oh, hang on, there's a bit of trickery happening here. That yeah. is the real vase you're looking at, so you're not looking for a CGI vase. Yeah, yeah. And That's quite so, clever. yeah, it's really, you know, I, I enjoyed um, actually knowing that and actually watching this scene again. Yeah, afterwards, yeah. knowing how it was done, and it's like, yeah, that, you know, that's really clever the way they do it. Basically, by the time you're asking how did they do that, you've missed the effect. They've yeah. they've got on with it. So. Very clever. At this point, Lister tries to have uh, a little bit of fun, and it turns into slapstick central. Yeah. Now you see, at the time of it being aired, <laughs> right? I hated all the rake gags and the groin bashing. Yeah. And originally. You know, originally I thought it was funny, but it just went on for too long and I ended up hating it. Yeah. Now, Doug explains on the commentary that this is not him, Doug, writing a crap gag. This is him writing what Lister would do with the typewriter. Yeah, okay. And so this is the sort of, it is the sort of thing Lister would do. Yes, it goes on a bit long, but Lister would do that. He would. He does carry things too far. Yeah, I guess. And I thought... Yeah. Um, you know, when it's when you look at it that way, you think actually, yeah, this is more clever than you realise. You know, it, I, I just credited it as a bit of a joke that went on too far. It isn't a bit of a joke that went on too far. It's deliberately done to fit in with the character. Yeah. Okay. He yeah. goes on to explain on the commentary as well that um, Lister, in his subconscious, knows about Kachansky. Yeah. 
right? Um, that's why Crichton gets punished so severely with the rakes. Um, Rimmer yes, is punished yes. Lister, that's how he is with Rimmer. Um, cat as well, he's always played jokes on the cat and what have you and pranks. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's his subconscious, you know, Get, in this, getting uh, revenge. <laughs> yeah, basically just okay. Getting revenge, being vicious to some. Um, you know, it's it's just Lister being Lister, um, but it's you know, on a subconscious level almost. Okay. At this point, they realise that they're no longer in control, and the cat then finally brings to attention the the squid and basically does a little blow in the end of the little origami stuff he's been making, well, and it turns pulls into it out his pocket, don't he? he says, "Look, what are these?" You know, because yeah, he's obviously. I think we've. He's made one in the shop, and he made one in Coronation Street, and then obviously he's made another one here, and it's it, it's as if he's suddenly realised what the hell are, you know are these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so he blows in it, and it turns into a squid, and this is how it's the despair squid. The cat smells Kachansky's perfume, and I believe it's Crichton that suggests that ah, maybe it's a joy squid because everything's good as opposed to everything's bad. Lister obviously wants to stay around in that world because he's missing Kachansky. I mean, obviously, we don't know what happened, and hopefully in Series X or Series 10, this will get revisited, hopefully. Well, we do know that she she left because of Lister's drinking. Yes. Um, she left because of Lister's drinking, and Crichton told Lister that she died and had been sucked through an airlock because yeah. her leaving him... You know, her dying is more is easier to accept than her having um, basically turned her back on him and given up on the relationship. But really, would it? Because if you think about it, that it well, if you go by the books, they had what was it about a month, and then she turned her back on him. Yeah, she was she was on the rebound, and he spent about a month with her, and then they broke up. That was in the initial stages, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. So, <coughs> well, I, see, I don't we don't know. know how long they've been together. You know, yeah, yeah. That's this might point. have happened. Well, not be the week before because there's the memorial stone, but um, yeah. I get the impression it's happened sort of like a year or two before. Yeah, possibly. You know, so they, they could have had, you know, they could have had anything from sort of like three years up to seven years, I'd say, together. Yeah, yeah, possibly. <laughs> Crichton then fesses up and said, "Well, actually, yeah, she." She went away. She didn't get sucked out of an airlock. So, well, Lister wants to make a go of it. Uh, Rimmer, the cat, and Crichton just casually fade away. The next scene starts, and uh, Rimmer, cat, and Crichton, they all wake up on the cargo bay floor. Now, I wasn't too keen on this get-out clause here, but apparently due to the despair squid, their bodies have gained a natural antibody which allows them to choose realities. <laughs> and I thought, mm. it's, it's a sci-fi element. <laughs> yeah. And basically, Lister has to make his choice of which reality he wants to, wants to go to, whether he stays a slimy mess on the floor and then eventually dies. But I suppose they had that in um, Back to Reality anyway, didn't they? They, they were just going to get all crinkled and a bit yeah. dodgy if they didn't leave the arse sweet. Not Back to Reality. That's um, better than life. Sorry, better than life, yeah. <laughs> the next scene starts, 
and Chloe goes to see him and suggests that he stays. They go for a nice long drive here, and it's very artsy, very somber music and everything. And it's, I don't know, it's almost like the end of like a romantic film or something. Well, this is obviously the uh, the ending to Blade Runner. And, yeah. Um, you've got Chloe Annette, um, who's playing herself, the actress that portrayed Kachansky, and she comes in, um, and she's she's dressed up, and she's I don't know if it's a wig or if they've styled her hair. I get the impression it's a wig. Yeah. And um, and they've tried to make her look like uh, Rachel from uh, Blade Runner. Okay. And we're obviously we're mirroring the scene with um, Deckard and um, Rachel drive off into the forests yeah. get away from the city and what have you and this is what you basically get here they're in Starbuck driving off now yeah. I remember watching this when it came on screen and thinking geez Chloe's not aged well yeah you know? and she looks dreadful she yeah. really does look dreadful um, and it wasn't until we went to Dimension Jump 15 and I literally walked past her in a corridor and it was <laughs> I breathed a huge sigh of relief of oh and she's you know, she's more attractive now, I would say, than she's ever been. Even back when she originally did, you know, she's... Um, Agreed, yeah. You know, she's... She, she she was never fat before, but she's super slim now compared to how she was when she filmed Series 7 and 8 of Red yeah, Wolf. Yeah. You know, not that she's fat. Uh, you know, that that's... That that's not it at all. But she she just comes across as a, she, she's a different shape. She's obviously working out and taking care of herself. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, she's aged well. Um. And it was such a relief considering how terrible I think she looks within uh, Back to Earth. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, one thing to point out here, uh, I think this is from the commentary, um, that Chloe Annette is actually the villain of the piece in Back to Earth. You know, as nice as she is, mm. you know, and what have you, as polite as she is, and the way she is with Dave Lister, right? She is there to try and keep Lister within the hallucination. She is there to stop him from returning to reality. Yeah, that's right. And I love, I mean, I love how Doug did this. You know, we're all ecstatic about seeing the return of Chloe. Um, I mean, one thing as well, the, you know, this was a big surprise for us as well, was Chloe Annette being in Back to Earth. We, yeah, yeah. It's a fantastically well-kept secret, you know. And it's not until later viewing and you stop and think about it, I think it might have even been when I first heard it on the commentary that you realise, actually, no, she's the villain. You know, she turns mm. around to her and she says, you'll not get her back, you know. And, it, you know, and basically Lister turns around and repeats the lines you know, from the uh, children on the bus. So yeah, yeah. doesn't yeah, take any smeg and yeah, yeah. It's I, I think it is. I hate the way the ending looks. I hate the way Chloe looks, and I hate this dream feel. Mm. Right, but the actual feeling of it all, you know, the um, the dreamlike quality feeling to it. Yeah, um, I loved it. The fact that they've got Chloe in um, is such a fantastic surprise um although a couple of people had called it when they'd seen the magazine article yeah, i think sure. i'd i'd actually questioned i wonder if she might turn up in it i mean this far into the, this late into the game i didn't expect she was going to yeah yeah not until she did and so um yeah you know excellent well as you said i mean basically the pullover and he decides to go walking off and again as you mentioned before chloe says to him that you'll never get her meaning kachansky but he, he wants to take his chances, and he walks off and fades away. Now, you see, what I've got to laugh about is this scene, it looks so peaceful and calm and um, 
relaxed almost. Yeah. You know, is 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 resigned to the fact that no, I'm going back to the real world. I'm going to try and win her back, and he makes his mind up, and he's he's adamant and he's firm, but he's calm about it and what have you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's got a taxi waiting to rush him off to Coronation Street at the time they're filming this. <laughs> you know, they literally they're trying to squeeze it in. Everything's frantic in the background, trying to get it done. You know, if we've got everything, <laughs> this this taxi sat with its engine running virtually. You know, um, exactly the same thing uh, for the comic book scene from episode two. Yeah, uh, both of them scenes when they were filmed, Craig Charles was literally having to dash off and be rushed off up to uh, Manchester to shoot uh, Coronation street wow um so yeah i mean doug says in his commentary that this kachansky ending wasn't in the original script all right the original script uh, had uh, doug wanted to have katarina repair holly and then holly was going to create the portal okay all right um then when they returned from the hallucination holly would actually still be offline right okay know? now he knew for this storyline to work you know this. This is where he goes into the uh, problems that he had with Norman Levet. Yeah, yeah. He knew that for this part of the story to work, it had to be a three-parter. It couldn't be a two-parter. Yeah. All right. Now this is Doug's obviously version of events, which, to be fair with you, sounds like it's you know more truthful. I'm not going to call Norman Levet a liar, but I believe Doug's story more than I do Norman's. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Norman Levet called up he'd been told to keep his calendar free for these recording dates right now doug didn't know if he was going to get two days or three day a two-parter or a three-parter yeah and for him to include holly norman levette as holly it needed to be a three-parter yeah right norman levette called him up um and says right i need to know if i'm going to be in it or not you've not got back to me i need to know before the end of the day and threw down an ultimatum and doug basically couldn't tell him one way or another. Uh, he wasn't sure if the budget was going to stretch to three parts. He wasn't in a position to be able to give an answer to Norman. Mm. So, you know, he basically said that, um, sorry, I'm not in a position to tell you, you know, one way or another. So, um, and that was it. And then um, Norman Levette went online saying that uh, I'm not in it because they can't afford me and I'm never going to appear in any Red Dwarf ever again, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, He'd been quite public with his opinion of it at the time, yeah, yeah. and it's nice to actually hear Doug Naylor's side of the story. Yeah, sure. You know, and it makes sense that way. You know, I'm I'm not in a position to be able to tell you. So at this point, I'm going to say no. You're not definitely in it. You know. Yeah, yeah. At this particular moment in time, you're not in it. You know. So yeah. um, it's a shame it turned out that way, but yeah, agreed. The next scene starts, and Lister wakes up. And basically, he's covered in slime on the floor. Um, surely they wouldn't have just left him there. <laughs> I don't know, I would. <laughs> just yeah. had him hitting each other on the head with rakes and yeah, okay. points into corners of the desk. I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have not just left him there, I'd have pushed him in the water tank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Crichton explains that it was a female squid, uh, making it a joy squid. I don't get that reference, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, the cat fesses up and he suggests that he actually brought the squid on board from the the ocean planet where they encountered the despair squid in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> what a muppet. 
Yeah. I mean, on the commentary, uh, Doug does say that he wanted to, you know, it was a one-off special. Mm. Um, it wasn't a new series. And he decided to uh, go for the Despair Squid from Back to Reality as the basis for this story. Yeah. Um, basically, it was a fan's favourite episode. Let's revisit it and, you know, give something back to the fans. And he's actually quite, he sounds quite unhappy at accusations that he can't come up with an original idea and what have you. You know, things were flying about at the time of it airing. And I can see where he's coming from. He's probably, you know, done this for the... For the fans, as far as he's aware, he's done it for the fans. And then they turn around and go, you shouldn't have bothered her. He can't have an original idea. And, you know, it's the same as League of Gentlemen and all the rest of it. And he must just throw his arms up in despair and say, what? (laughs) Right, okay. (sighs) So, yeah, shame that. Yeah. (laughs) The final scene starts and they're leaving the lift. Crichton suggests that the virtual world, or our world, will still exist due to them creating it in their hallucination, as do all dreams too, um, Multiverse 101. And I was like, what? <laughs> that didn't make sense. Unless it's just a plot point for future episodes, I don't know. Could well be. The thing is, it's if it's an infinite, if there's an infinite amount of universes out there, mm. um, then... The, Basically, what the I think I heard this recently on a, a some podcast or the other. I can't remember what they were talking about. But if the universe is infinite, then every eventuality must exist in one form or another, no matter right. how ludicrous, how much it breaks the laws of physics and all the rest of it. You know, if it is if it if it is never ending, then there will it will have happened or it will appear in a certain way. Okay. So what he's saying is this. Now I question whether this is actually our universe. It's close to our universe. Yeah, yeah. But we have not got the Tyrell building in the middle of London. Yeah, sure. Which yeah. would make me say that it is a similar to our universe, but not. Yeah, because in the um, in the second episode, she say um, real reality not valid, finding nearest possible, or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Now this bit at the end here, they they walk down this um, corridor, and yeah. it's quite a long shot for the camera looking down this cor- this long corridor. Mm. Right, it's actually a lot shorter than it looks, and they used a really really basic um, perspective trick. Okay. Um, basically, they've used a model of part of the corridor and placed it over the camera lens. To create an optical illusion. Oh, right. okay. Now they turn off, they turn uh, their left, our right as we're looking at the screen, I think it is. They turn left mm. just before the optical illusion ends. And if you're looking for it, you can just make out the line where it is. Right, okay. But everything from um, between where they stand, where, where they turn off and the actual camera mm. is actually just basically a box over the lens to give the impression of a corridor but it's just perfectly been matched up with the back with the background okay. you know the foreground has been perfectly matched up with the background yeah. i mean i got to laugh on the commentary because the um the cast said they'd actually seen it and didn't realize it was actually going to be in the thing they thought it was just a model to show how something was going to look full size oh, but no okay. you know um now something else we get on the commentary yeah, during the closing credits, mm. um, they talk about Red Dwarf's rejection from the BBC and how it eventually became to be on Dave. Yeah, uh, which I I thought was really quite interesting. Basically, um, it's 
it's similar to Doctor Who in that it never actually got cancelled. They just okay. stopped commissioning new ones yeah. without actually cancelling it, which means that it's a long-running, you know, it, it, it's it's in the running for, you know, one of the longest-running shows for, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. All right. And something else, I could never understand the whole Blade Runner inspiration for this uh, Back to Earth. It's something that bothered me when I first saw it yeah. and for quite a while afterwards. And it's not until I listened to the commentary where it actually makes sense. Um, basically, Doug explains on the commentary that um, he wanted to do a homage to Blade Runner for okay. two reasons. Um, one, he's a huge fan. Uh, most people that watch Red Dwarf are fans of sci-fi to some degree. Yeah. And um, Blade Runner is one of the sci-fi classics. Yeah. Um, he didn't think a decent homage had ever been done before, and so he thought it'd be an, it, nice and fitting. Okay. Um, another reason he wanted to pick Blade Runner is because it had the right dreamlike qualities and atmosphere that he was looking for for this story. Okay, yeah. And if you think about other sci-fi films that might have this dreamy kind of atmosphere and what have you, yeah. and I can't think of any that come close. Um, maybe Alien, possibly. Um, and let's face it, the you know that was played homage to in um, Polymorph. Yeah, so, yeah, um, sure. So yeah, I, 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 once once I'd heard that, I, it, it kind of made sense, and I thought, right, I can see where they're coming from, and it doesn't bother me anymore like it did when I first saw it. Yeah. And um, one last thing I picked up on on the commentary, bearing in mind I wrote these notes before the big announcement. Yeah. Um, Doug says it is impossible to do a Red Dwarf story in 23 minutes. Mm. Um, that's why he wrote Back to Earth as a single entity story. Yeah. Right. Now, the question I've put here is, does this mean the new series will be full of two or three parters? Uh, yeah, well... Which we now know it yeah. probably won't. We've been told that um, it's actually... They're going to be 30-minute episodes to fill a 40-minute 40 40 um, time slot on Yeah, air. that's right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's good to see that he hasn't... He's gone, you know... He's basically turned around on this commentary and categorically said, you cannot do Red Dwarf Story in 23 minutes. And I'm so pleased that we've got this uh, Series 10 coming up. And he stood by his guns. And I would imagine this is what half of the... Uh, why, why there's been such a delay before it was officially announced. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that this is the reason. It's all the little things that Doug wanted to get right for it to work. Yeah, And yeah. one of these things, and I would imagine it's going to be quite a big spanner in the works, because obviously this is all to do with the airtime and... Um, the yeah, advertising space and all the rest of it. Because that's only going to leave a 20-minute slot at the end, isn't it? If you think within an hour. Yeah, well, if if it's... Yeah, well, so what we've got is the, basically, um, you know, a 30-minute episode to fill a 40-minute time slot. Yeah. And, I mean, that's how they show the um, BBC episodes, so... Yeah, um, yeah, sure. I'm assuming that Doug has uh, stood and said, this is how I'm going to do it, and has been quite adamant on it. Mm. If he has, fair play on the bloke standing by his uh, principles and standing by what he says about it. Yeah, indeed. Okay, well, that's the episode review done. Next, the scores. I thought it was okay. I, I was never a big fan. I mean, I, I'm not a big soaps fan. Um, I did kind of like all the reference. I, I especially like the 
the Coronation Street pub scene, the priory scene, and, and Lister pick, or should I say Craig Charles poking fun at himself. Apart from that, I only found it okay. Um, I, I find it very strange now, looking back, that I actually preferred the first episode. <laughs> um, where, way back, I absolutely hated that episode because it was so slow. But now, uh, first episode for me is definitely the better one. Um, and this, I only give a 6 out of 10, which doesn't mean it's bad. It's just I didn't find it as good. Um, you, however, have given it a lot higher score. I've gone for a 9 out of 10 for this. Mm. Um, I love the comedy at the start in the Coronation Street. Um, even though we know that the interior of the pub is actually a studio set somewhere and yet they walk in off the street into the uh, set. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, the the emotion at the end of this episode is absolutely fantastic. Mm, um, mm. The only negative I've got, I've already touched on in the uh, episode review, was the um, creator's vision of them being gunned down. Yeah. Uh, to me, that was a letdown after seeing the promos and trailers. I felt yeah. like I'd been robbed of a scene because it isn't actually part of the story, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apart from that, the whole thing is just awesome. Um, it, it's not so much the content of it. It's all to do with the emotion at the end mm. and where it finishes um, Red Dwarf. Yeah. Right. Um, Red Dwarf, for the last couple of series, it seemed to lack a, a direction in life. And what I mean, a, a direction in life for Lister. Yeah. What I mean by that is we always had, Lister had a dream that he was chasing. Yeah. Right. Even though it was so many, you know, three million years into deep space and Kachansky had been dead for, you know, three million years and what have you, mm. he was still pursuing his dream of settling down with Kachansky on a farm on Fiji, getting back to Earth. And there was always a goal there. And we, it sort of tailed off and lost that towards the end. Yeah. And it's something which, um, not long after it aired, it got uh, possibly on the Ganymede and Titan forums, maybe on the official website. Uh, Red Dwarf forums, um, somebody turned around and says, what we've got now is a total reboot where Lister has actually got a goal in life again. Yeah. You know, the goal for him and for the crew to continue on is to continue and find Kachansky. He's back to finding the love of his life. Yeah, Only this yeah. time, instead of her being, it's it been a lost cause, she's been dead three million years, this time he knows she's out there somewhere. Right. Given that space is... And inf you know, in you know, infinite in size, the chances of finding her are probably as minuscule as actually finding her um, alive after three million years. Yeah, but, you yeah, know, it's sure. probably as likely. But um, yeah, he knows she's out there somewhere, and it's him searching for her. And I absolutely love what it's done, setting it up. Um, basically, it's it lets the crew continue on into what we now know is going to be a new series. Yeah. Yeah. It breathed life back into the, um, you know, into the franchise, which given the slating, some people give back to earth online. I, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. My opinion. Yeah. Um, yes. You're entitled to an opinion. to say you didn't like it and what have you, but you got to admit that there's the certain aspects of it. Uh, were good and yeah. the way it ends it all fantastic so yeah i've gone for a nine out of ten because um for a setup for a new series which at the time we didn't know if it was going to get or not it's worked out perfect for us yeah yeah um so that's six from me a nine from you and there's a lonely seven on the forum which that gives us 73 percent which surprisingly high i wish i'd given it 10 then <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the next section is what's going down in Groovestown after a quick advertisement from Visual Digest. Do you like explosions? Do you like sexually appealing women? Yeah. Do you like fast cars? Yeah, we don't have any of that. But what we do have is a super low budget web show on YouTube called Visual Digest. If you watch it, we will pay you. In appreciation. You must ask yourself, is it worth ignoring this advert and not watching it? To lose out on all that appreciation, it's delivered straight to you, the humble viewer, free of charge? The answer? You decide. Watch Visual Digest now on YouTube with the videos sort of weekly. The answer to the question is no. Your appreciation is not guaranteed. Alright dudes, what's going down in Groove Town then? Groove Town, over to you. Yeah, I, see I wanted to briefly discuss with you. Um, whether Back to Earth is now called Series 9 or not. Well, I've gone to the effort of updating the forum and the Podbean site and making it Series 9 because it makes sense. I mean, in all the TV.com and everything, they're all classing it as Series 9 as well. So it seems to be a global understanding now that it is Season 9. See, I disagree. I'd, I'd argue that it isn't. Well, um, I think <coughs> it's almost like a paradox because they refer to Season 9 being fantastic series and it actually been in the episode which is in season nine no i see i see i'd argue that back to earth is still the 2009 easter special mm, mm, right and okay. the series nine will it's a mythical series that only exists in back to earth and will never actually physically exist in this <laughs> universe um I, it's events yeah. from with i mean we know that events from series nine are going to be referenced to in the future and um, they already have been in back to earth you know we know that series nine is when kachansky left lister because of his drinking we know that Crichton told lister that you know whilst lister was having a bath we even know that lister was sat having a bath when Crichton came in and said that she's been sucked out of an airlock and died because he knew lister wouldn't be able to cope with knowing that she'd He'd blown it with her, basically. However, these were only comments made up about a season nine in a alternate universe. So just because there was an, an alternate season nine in that universe doesn't mean that there was a season nine in our universe. Yeah, but I think... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we could People, talk... We, I tell you what, we're going to have to set up a poll on the uh, forum. I think I set one up. Earth. Is I set one up a while back because I wasn't sure of what to call uh, Back to Earth. I'll have to dig that out and have another look. <laughs> make it <laughs> as sticky and resurrect it and make sure everybody posts on it. <laughs> see, I, I'm still... See, I've been uh, I've been arguing the toss very slightly on the um, the official Red Dwarf site as well. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm still not... Basically, I'm not... not not turn I said it isn't series nine. I've said I'm still not sure whether to call Back to Earth series nine. To me, it'll always be Back to Earth, and series nine is going to be. I mean, I love the idea of having a the best season ever, series nine, and it's an in joke with the fans that technically series nine doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. I've got visions of in ten years' time somebody deciding to collect all the Red Dwarf CDs, you know, DVDs, mm. you know, and saying I can't get hold of series nine. You know, it's, it's it's as rare as rocking horse cack. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should start selling them on eBay and just rebadge back to earth. <laughs> no, we should make our own fan series nine. It's just Lister in a bath, and Crichton comes in and goes, Miss Kachansky, she's dead, sir. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Brilliant. I like it. Right, there's. Um, 
there's actually there's not been a lot of news since Dimension Jump. No. Um, as far as we are all aware, the cast have all verbally agreed to do the new series, but are yet to sign their contracts. I keep reading everywhere that the cast are on board and have signed the contracts and that the cast have signed up and this, that and the other. They haven't. That's one of the things that Doug said is yet to happen and is one of the reasons they can't officially turn around and say, definitely 100% it's on. Mm, you know, mm. this, this, it is one of the little things that they've still got to iron out. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much where we are. Um, we've not heard anything else. We know it's uh, six episodes at least. We know that they're 30 minutes long to fill a 40 minutes with adverts um, time slot. Uh, we know that filming starts in November at the moment. I mean, that could change. But I honestly don't think, until filming begins in November, I don't think we're going to hear much at all. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, that's it. Uh, the only other stories we've got are off the official site is the, there's the confirmation of the new series announcement. Uh, that took about a week or so to get up on the official site. Um there's an article on what some of the cast are currently up to, a couple of jobs uh, that they've, they've got lined up. Mm. Uh, and the final three Red Dwarf novels are now being released in Germany. And that's pretty much it. It's, okay. uh, I think it's all going to go quiet for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, as are we. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for a bit. Yeah. Welcome to the Parrot Spa. The place you can drink a curry-flavored tequila slammer that burns on the way in and on the way out. Parrot's Bar. I don't know. The last couple of weeks I've done very little, to be honest. I mean, obviously we just had a nice long four-day weekend, which every meal was done on a barbecue. Every drink was alcoholic. It was fantastic. Speak for yourself. I was working Friday and Saturday and back again today. <laughs> Ouch. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're all right. It's, it's double time and I get a day off in lieu as well. So oh, nice one. I get to pick my day off. Nice. Um, we played some more Band Hero and um, we, we've now beaten all that. Um, we're now on to Lego Rock Band, which is it, it's quite similar. Um, what the hell's Lego Rock Band? <laughs> um, do you, well, do you know how every single game's out and every single movie has got... A Lego version. I yeah, I can understand the Lego Raiders of the Lost Ark. I can understand the Lego Star Wars. Um, um, imagine the normal rock band. rock band. Yeah, so it's normal rock band. Apart yeah. from your figurines are Lego. And the little fret notes coming down are Lego blocks. And <laughs> you just go through a, a, a little Lego story. Isn't that just for the sake of it? <laughs> yeah, it, it is, yeah. Are the songs available on normal band hero? Um, I... I think they are. Well, I know you can import them into Rock Band 3. So, to be honest, we're, we're only doing it for the achievements because we're a bit of achievement junkies. So. <laughs> <laughs> we bought a keyboard for um, Rock Band 3, which we've not got around to using yet because, as I said, it's only for Rock Band 3. I know um, Digital... Is it Digitaltopia? Uh, mentioned on the forum that the thing he dislikes about the rock bands and stuff like that is that they give the people a false sense of security that they're actually playing a, an instrument where actually it's a lot harder. Yeah. Which I totally agree with. Um, however, the keyboard is is a full proper keyboard and you've got a couple of options. You can either press like one button, uh, which covers all the notes, or you can take it up to the bit where you're actually doing all the notes and everything like that. And, and I think it's trying to encourage people to learn the guitars. I mean, I know yeah. you mentioned, did, was it you that mentioned last time that you can get the little box that you plug into... Uh, for the, the games. 
Well, I know that they're looking at um, changing these. And so instead of pressing red, green, blue, red, green, you know, or triangle, yeah, yeah. triangle square, square, circle, you know, yeah, they're yeah. actually trying to make it so that you are learning an instrument. So instead of just hitting mm. the right buttons, you are actually learning the notes, as it were. Yeah. And I think Digi was talking about it on the um, forum. That's just, right, yeah. Just incidentally, you know who Digitaltopia is, don't you? It's... Um, Remember me doing the um, the list podcast? That's oh, okay. Podcast yes. of the week. Yeah. Well, Digital Topia is uh, from the list podcast. Oh, uh, okay. Now, the list podcast is actually finished, and okay. um, he's now doing the verbal release podcast. Okay. And I've um, I've been working recently uh, on their forum, writing, um, trying to do, trying to get a, a forum community input to write some comedy sketches. Okay. And just trying to do it as like a collective, not one person writing a sketch here, how do you think I can improve this? Yeah. Just everything. You know, I propose these characters in this scenario, what could happen? And other people come in. And um, it seems to be going all right so far, although it seems to be mostly me and Digi <laughs> just writing it between us. Yeah, but, yeah, sure. You know, the idea is that's eventually going to end up on the verbal release podcast, which um, I think they're up to about three, four episodes of that now. Excellent. Okay. Uh, anyway, sorry, sidetracked. <laughs> it's okay. Um, apart from that, we played some um, some Halo, um, some ODST, which we're now flying through because we've uh, beat Halo Three now, and um, uh, my other half has now discovered Griffball on um, Halo Reach. So we over the weekend when we've had a few beers and as we've been playing Griffball, which if people know what Red versus Blue is, they'll understand what Griffball is. Um, Griff is a character which is picked on by everybody, um, and Griffball is it, it's basically a game mode in Halo. And what you do, you have these large hammers, and <laughs> basically a person gets a ball and they've got to drop it in the goal. Um, so you've got red versus blue, and the person who picks up the ball turns yellow, which is the colour of Griff from red versus blue. And the only weapon you've got is a big hammer, so... <laughs> Basically, it's just eight people chasing each other around with big hammers, and it's just really, really crazy fun. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Um, and How, you see, when you say griff ball, I'm picturing some sort of volleyball type game <laughs> scenario. Um... It's it's eight Halo characters with big hammers, and when I say big hammers, we're talking uh, twice the size of a person, which is. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> so we've been playing that, and well, apart from that, is it, the weather's just been too nice. So I haven't really got in much gaming time, to be honest. Um, I've got currently um, Black Ops sat in front of me, Bulletstorm sat in front of me, um, Red Dead Redemption sat in front of me. But the weather's just been too nice, so I, I just haven't won a spot in front of in front of the console, to be honest. You not really done a deal, to be honest with you. Uh, with the weather being so nice over the weekend, yeah. Uh, what? bit of a weekend I got. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we went up um we went up Clumber Park, which yeah. is uh it's just a bit further on from Nottingham from uh, Sherwood Forest. Yeah. And to be honest with you, there's not a deal to do at Sherwood Forest. There's there's a big old oak tree, the major oak. You know, you can see that from a distance because it's fenced off. Um and you can see some other fairly old oak trees. And that's pretty much it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but around that sort of area, there's loads of... Um, there's Rufford Abbey, and there's, there's loads of little parks and what have you. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the most scenic, and certainly it's got to be one of the most beautiful 
areas of Nottingham to visit, especially during a nice summer's day, yeah. is uh, Clumber Park. Okay. And it's up on the uh, A614. Um, now, it's a National Trust Park, um, so it's £5.50 to get in and park. Wow. Which, as as a British national, I thought we part-owned that. <laughs> it, it didn't seem right being charged five. When he said, I mean, I were expecting three, four quid, but when yeah. he says £5.50, that's, like, that's more than a fiver. That's £5 <laughs> plus 50. You know. but, you um, the Yorkshire war cry of, how much? <laughs> <laughs> well, I nearly turned around because I do know that... Um, it's, it's a big place, Clumber Park. is. There's the main centre where the lake yeah. is. It's a massive lake and what have you. Right, but there's little villages within it. There's okay. a sawmill within it. There's, there's things within the park. And I do know that there are side roads where you can weave your way around these narrow side paths through all the woodland mm. to get round the bloke on the gate. Right. I don't actually know any of these routes offhand <laughs> and I thought, right, okay. I thought oh, I'll just pay the £5.50 and park you know it's yeah, a yeah. lovely day and at the end of the day there's four of us in the car £5.50 ain't a lot you yeah, know if, sure. if we go somewhere and it costs £4 per person it works out expensive yeah, you know sure. this is £5.50 for us all just to sit you know, get in there this, there must have been a thousand plus cars in there so they, they make the money wow. you know they make some money mm. but it's like I say it's a lovely um a, you know, surprisingly, there's no manor or uh, old um, monastery or there's nothing like that there. There's, mm. there's literally just a church in there and a bit of a building where, this, you know, they've got the cafe and it's some old stables and what have you. Yeah, sure. But the actual, um, the park itself, there's, there's quite a long lake. It took us a good, I don't know, three hours to walk around it. You know, it's quite a walk, but it's so scenic, it's so lovely. You go past this uh, pub at one end of it, um, like I say, in the bright sunshine. It's got a well-kept lawn in front of one side of it, right outside this church. Yeah. And it's like a stone wall up to it where all the swans come up and lots of statues about. And um, just just so scenic. It's You can't get more English than this. This is how uh, I would say an American would look and say... You know, imagine, you know, some some place like this to be. You mm. know, I, I dread to think what an American thinks when he goes to Nottingham Castle and he sees this building that's been there since the sixties. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so this is the castle. Well, actually, you know, this stone here, these six rows here at the bottom. Yeah. That's the original castle wall. This bit here was built in the. Uh, 50s and 60s and this bit here was built in the 70s it, it's bloody embarrassing yeah. <laughs> breeze block at the top <laughs> it's you know it's yes it's a museum inside but it's not even the best museum in nottingham the best yeah. museum in nottingham is Wollaton all yeah. um so yeah I, I dread to think we when i think of tourists coming to nottingham i really don't speak highly of nottingham it does have um it does have places worth visiting mm. uh clumber park is a prime example um, Sherwood Forest, it's maybe worth stopping, it's free. So you pull in, have a quick look, look at Major Oak and then go on further up the road up to Clumber Park. It's only about 10 minutes further up the road, not even that, five. Mm. Um, so yeah, we did that. That was as weekend. 
Uh, one thing I have got to tell you, which I've avoided telling you because I wanted to save it for the uh, podcast to okay. hear your reaction. You know I work in recycling, right? I do, yes. Now, where I currently work, it's um, it's the recycling out of the bins, it, it, you know, people's recyclable okay. waste, the yeah, cans, yeah. the cardboard, all the rest of it. And okay. obviously, sometimes you get food and pop bottles that haven't been finished and what have you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had to report a bloke at work last week for eating the food and drinking the pop that he is finding in the rubbish heap. What? <laughs> I knew you re- Right, it's... Um, That's disgusting. I, I stood watching him. I, I'd, I'd heard about it years ago and thought it was an exaggeration until I saw it with mine own eyes. <laughs> and he's picking out of this heap and he's pulling all this cardboard out and it was, um, it was an industrial waste load. So there's yeah. office waste, there's kitchen waste from this factory and yeah. there's a lot of actual factory waste. So there's... I don't know, there's paintings and tubs of thinners and, yeah, you know, yeah. there's, there's chemicals and nasties in there. Where it's tipped up is where all the rats hang around. There's an artificial wall there and the rats mm. all get underneath that. All right. And it had been sat there overnight, this load ad. <coughs> and, yeah, he's pulling all the cardboard out. It's a red-hot day. He looks down and he picks up this bottle of uh, fizzy orange, unscrews the lid, about four or five massive gloves, oh. pours the last bit on the floor, and then gets back to his picking. All right, the guy, he's a disgusting bloke to look at, to talk to. He's, um, his clothes are ditched. I dread to think how many months since he last washed them. He's an alcoholic, which we um, we know about. He got sacked in the past before about it and banned from the machines, told. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got set back on and was told, you'll never drive a machine ever again. He's back on the machines. Right? Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, if fair play to him. He's a worker. He, you know, from the moment he clocks on, he gets on with the job. Mm. You know, he's back promptly from his breaks and what have you. But, yeah, when he when he did that, I actually spoke to some of the guys on and I says, look, I've just seen him do this. And they went, oh, yeah, yeah. When he's on the belt, if half a packet of biscuits comes up, he takes the top two out and eats the biscuits. Oh. Is, yeah, we had all these pot noodles that came in. They were a year and a half out of date. He took them all home in a big bag. Um, tinned food, he'll open them, see what's in them, and maybe decide to have it for his lunch at work. <laughs> The sickest one I heard was, and I remember this happening, this is what I thought somebody was exaggerating on, Mm. about, this would be two, three years ago, Okay. a bag of onions came up, and he picked them out, and he pulled the couple that were still quite firm and not gone soft like the rest, gets a knife, which is also out of the pile, I hasten to add, slices these onions and puts them on his cheese sandwiches... (laughs) That is disgusting. <laughs> and yeah, and basically, I I thought I'm not having that. He's he'd been doing my head in all week. He's been um, a bit of a cantankerous git, and he'd been mm. uh, having a go at me. He'd accused me of trying to run the machine out of diesel, so it ran out on him. You know, it okay. would have lasted twenty minutes, so I had to go and put some in it. I says it would have lasted the shift, you know. And mm. we had a bit of a fallout, and uh, yeah, I just went and reported him. And <clears throat> the worst thing is. Well, the people I went to report him to, yeah, I've heard about that. I said, well, I'm not being funny, I says, but I could put a near miss in for it. I says, but if I put a near miss in, management will go absolutely ape and Mm. he'll be gone. I says, so I'm going to leave it in your court. It's up to you whether you want to risk that, whether you want to have a word with him, whether you want to watch him, see if you can get him on camera. I says, "If if I approach him and tell him, he'll just make sure I'm not looking in future. (laughs) 
Yeah. I said, yeah. if you approach him and say, we've had reports of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I says, it'll make him think twice. Yeah. I said, but if I see him again, I'm going to put a near miss in because, you know, the, the, the oh, geez, just unbelievable. The, just the rat urine itself that could have been on the outside of that bottle. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, that kills people. Uh, that's, yeah. um, I'm trying to remember what it's called now. Anyway, it, it don't matter. So, yeah, it, <laughs> I've had to report a blow. I mean, it's, it's good recycling. It's good for tonnages. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I've had to report him for eating food and drink out of the waste. <laughs> right. Podcast of the week. This week, it's Never Buy a Stripper a Drink, uh, which I'm pretty sure you've mentioned a couple of times before. I've mentioned them. Um, I'm yeah. not... They've not been a podcast of the week. No, no, they haven't, no. That's <laughs> fair enough. Um, <laughs> basically, people who know me from the Simply Syndicated forums, they yeah. may remember a forum member from a couple of years ago called um, Pliform or PL Form. Mm. Um, now, this is a guy called Nick, and he is one of the hosts of Never Buy a Stripper a Drink. Okay. Um, now, he and the other hosts are also in a band called Letters to Voltron, right. which is a kind of a comedy punk, electro-type band. Uh, it's, it's weird to describe. Um, now, they use this podcast to promote themselves and also other bands who are also members of Mega Profit Promotions. Okay. Um, basically, it's a weekly podcast. It lasts about an hour and a half, up to two hours. Mm. And it's just them talking about getting drunk and what the weeks have been like and gigs they've been to, big gigs they've held, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, they always start with, um, you know, a story for each from each of them. Uh, a good event of the week is mm-hmm. called A Finger in the A-Hole. Okay. <laughs> a bad event to the week is called a sack twist and so right. they turn around and they'll discuss their various fingers and um, twists okay uh, they regularly get guests on uh, which usually it's in the form of other bands that are returning from a bit of a tour um, yeah yeah maybe the tour stories uh sometimes it's some of the ladies from the rollerball derby i think um i think one of them is married to uh, one of the rollerball derby skaters, but I might be wrong on that. Okay. Rollerball derby is basically it's a females team um, sports game which involves lots of chasing and overtaking and point scoring and blocking each other on a skate circuit, and it's quite a violent game by okay. all accounts. And it's interesting listening to some of the stories, some of the training stories, and what. Mm, one of the guests they had, they even interviewed the owner of a porn house cinema. Okay. So it's, it's that style of humour. Right, okay. Uh, what have you. Kind of a Suckcast-ish. Yes. Now, at okay. the time, I used to flip between Suckcast and this being my favourite. You know, one week I would think Suckcast was better, the next week I'd think Never Buy a Stripper was better. Yeah, yeah, If you sure. like Suckcast, you'll probably like this. Yeah, sure. Lots of toilet humour, lots of non-politically correct chat. Okay. Uh, the tagline for the podcast is, Erected Weekly for Your Pleasure. Which right, okay. Which <laughs> sums up this podcast. Yeah. It's just something that I enjoy. It lightens my working day. Uh, you may enjoy it too. Excellent. Available at W www.neverbuyastripperadrink.com mm-hmm. um, or you can find them on iTunes. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I've actually run short on podcasts, so I might add that one on. Right. Right, well, that's it for this week and that's it for, well, we're going to go and have some time off. Um, we've got plans between now and obviously the next episodes coming out of doing the Red Dwarf USA 
and doing the books depending on how bored we get we might even do some of the unaired episodes as well you know like the uh, the cat story um identity within was it yeah yeah um <coughs> so what i would suggest is keep subscribed we're not going away i'm definitely not going away we're just going to have a bit of a summer break i think anyway if you want to keep up on the progress it's if you want to find us at the forum it's reddwarfforum.com if you want to find us on twitter it's twitter.com forward slash forum. If you want to send us an email, it's scuttercast at reddwarforum.com. And finally, if you want to find us on Facebook, it's under the main Fiction Shed name, so facebook.com forward slash Fiction Shed. You can also find on the Fiction Shed Facebook page the uh, Red Dwarf USA episodes. I posted the links a while ago on there. So if you scroll down the front, you know, that page of postings and you'll see them on there. Yeah, brilliant. Right. Well, as I said, that's it from us. Um, we will be back with you this year. As I said, we're going to have some time off first. But keep an eye on, on the forums and on the feeds, and we'll give you an idea when we're coming back. Okay, until then, goodbye. <laughs>